I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with the weekend review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review. Then finish up with film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, we'll have a fairly short week in review. Move on to a look at the decade. Finally, the 2010s are over. This will be, I think, our last episode focusing on the decade. We have spent the past year talking about a variety of different topics regarding the decade, or particularly our favorites of, of certain genres and stuff. You can look back at our past episodes for those, but this will be kind of a wrap-up of that, and Film Faves, as a result, will focus on our 12 favorite movies from the 2010s. But first, admittedly, we actually are recording this episode only a few days after the last episode in an attempt to try to catch up because uh, our schedule got all screwy thanks to illness and accident and heavy work schedules and everything. It was terrible. Not what I expected. So we haven't watched much since the last episode, but Shanna, you did finally get to finish one of your favorite new TV shows, or at least one of the seasons anyway. Are you all caught up on Killing Eve? I believe so. As caught up as I can get. I just finished season two. I didn't realize there was a season two to stream until I saw one of the characters, one of the actresses get nominated for a globe. Yes, and did they win? No. Was it Sandra Oh that was nominated? No. Sandra Oh was nominated like when the show first came out mm-hmm. and she won. Okay. And that was very thrilling. Okay. But not this time. This time it was... Jodie Corner. No, I'm sorry. Jodie Comer. Okay. Apparently I need glasses. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jodie Comer, which totally, she totally deserved a nomination. I don't know the rest of the actresses that were nominated, but she really did deserve the nomination. There is a scene where she's doing different accents. She does about four different accents, inhabits four different personalities to go with these accents in like, a two-minute scene. Oh, I think and I heard about this role. It's okay, so amazing yeah. to watch her, and like effortlessly, she's doing it. As my understanding is, it's kind of like James Mac- James McAvoy's character in Split, where she has a bunch of different characters she's rolling through. Is that right? Well, yeah, but not with the not with the mental. Okay. Whatever. You know, she's an assassin. The story is that she's an assassin uh-huh. and she needs to take on different accents, different roles, uh. different personality traits to get into wherever she needs to get in to assassinate high level people. And just really phenomenal performances, especially by her and Sandra Oh, of course. The story took a very interesting turn. The finale was fascinating. I'm excited about the next season. I cannot say enough good things about this show. If you're a fan of crime, if you're a fan of assassins, if you're a fan of women getting shit done, (laughs) this is the show for you. If you're into something that's not surface level, something that has 
deeper not necessarily meaning but something some somewhat of a mystery happening like we don't know why these two characters are so linked then this really is the show for you Mm. Uh, it looks like you know season two came out in april well i think handmaid's tale came out in april and I think something else of my favorite came out in April, so that explains why I missed it. Oh, yeah. uh, so season, it looks like they've been cleared for four seasons. I don't know when season three starts. It's not available yet. Probably sometime in the spring, I imagine, if that was the case with the past seasons. But excellent. And then uh, that's about everything that you've seen since the last episode on your own, yeah? Yes. Then we've seen a couple things. We've managed to squeeze in a couple things. First of all, I started watching DC animated superhero movies at the end of last year. And I had a couple that's been sitting on my shelf for about a month or so. I finally knocked out. That we watched together because you had work to do and you wanted to watch something uh, short. So we watched... Justice League War and Justice League versus the Teen Titans. Of course, this is two of a long history of direct-to-video animated movies that DC and Warner Brothers Animation has made. Shanna, what did you think of Justice League War, which, by the way, apparently is somewhat of an adaptation of this hard reset that DC Comics did in near the or beginning of the decade called the New 52, where, you know, it's reintroducing all the Justice League characters. What did you think of War? I wasn't into War. It wasn't a favorite. It wasn't... As entertaining as I'd hope, you know, all the I guess part of the hard reset is all these characters don't know each other, right? And now they're getting to know each other, and there's certain relationships that I'm not fond of. And uh, Green Lantern's a whiny bitch. You know? I, I thought Green Lantern was kind of funny. At times actually. he's funny, but mostly he's just whiny. Oh, uh, okay, all yeah. right. Uh, that's that's what I thought about it. But it was great to hear Shamar Moore's voice. It was great to hear Sean Astin. Clarify who they play. Uh, Shamar Moore is playing Cyborg, uh-huh. and Sean Astin is playing Shazam, which totally makes sense, given his energy. Mm. I was not a fan of War too much. The, the, There's some interesting stuff with Darkseid as the main villain, but I had issues with the casting. Who was it that played Wonder uh, Woman? Oh, yeah. Uh, was it Michelle Monaghan yes. who played Wonder Woman? Uh, that voice didn't work for me. The voice actually, Shaz- uh, Sean Astin sounded a little too young, oddly oh. enough, for Shazam. There's there's just several voices that didn't work for me. The plot didn't actually, I didn't think the plot was all that interesting. There wasn't a whole lot to it. Alan Tudyk as Superman is, I don't know basically i didn't like most of the voice casting i was fine with batman but i don't think it's very hard to do batman well when you've got kevin conroy doing batman you know it's really hard for anybody else to step in those shoes and live up to that and i'm not sure that i don't see the cast list right now but i'm not really sure who who did it in this particular film uh but i don't think they this person lived up to it so i don't know overall 
I thought War was a little bit disappointing. The other one was Justice League versus the Teen Titans, which I thought was slightly better, although it, it, it features a new Robin who was introduced apparently in like Son of Batman and then Batman versus, or yeah, then Batman versus Robin or something like so that. So there's two movies in between the two that we watched? Well, tangentially, they're Batman movies, not Justice League movies. It introduces Damien, who's the son of Batman, and Talia al Ghul, who apparently, like, he was being tutored by his grandfather, Rash al Ghul. Anyway, at this point, he's now Robin, Batman's Robin, and he's kind of a little shit. And this, this movie also introduces Teen Titans... It's. It must be based on New Fifty Two Teen Titans because you got a whole new Blue Beetle that's not Ted Cord. Uh, he's Jaime Reyes, who I never heard of before. And then I guess like the costume that he wears is like a, is some sort of a living being that's attached to him. So I thought. I mean, that was just very odd for me. But I did like this a little bit more, despite. Damien being a dick. Oh, you know what I didn't like about War? Cyborg's origin. That was what I was going to say. Cyborg's oh. origin really was a little hard to believe and hard to swallow and just didn't work for me. That version of Cyborg with Shamar Moore, which you love, is in this. <laughs> he, you know, yeah. origin aside, he works. Looks like a couple of people got re, a couple characters got recast. Yes, Rosario Dawson plays Wonder Woman in this version. She's fine. I'm not sure I like the version of Wonder Woman in these movies at this point anyway, as opposed to the Wonder Woman movie we talked about from a few years before these films. With Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell. I think Carrie Russell is a perfect Wonder Woman. I did not, but I like her better than these versions of Wonder Woman. I'm just going to be over here loving... Loving her. And honestly, I'm not sure I like the New 52 design of Wonder Woman either. It was War that introduced Wonder Woman as being protested, and and she has ice cream, right? She has ice cream for the first time, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And she's, like, swinging her sword around ridiculously all the time. She's, like, pointing the sword at the ice cream man. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, you should be proud. <laughs> yeah. If you're not, I will poke your nose, is what it looks like to <laughs> I me. I guess. But. That didn't anyway. work for me, but how did she work in Teen Titans for you? What did you think of she was, this movie? You know, look, Justice League was hardly a was hardly featured in in Justice League versus Teen Titans, honestly. So I don't know how I felt about this Wonder Woman. I, I don't like the relationship with Superman. I, oh yes, I they have like a relationship it. in this that started from the previous movie. At one more. point, he freaks out at her because he's possessed, and I'm like. You know, I'm not into that. She would not have taken that. She would have called him out. To clarify, so. the villain in this one is a character named Trigon, who's some sort of a spiritual devil creature, who is, I guess, the father of Raven from the Teen Titans. And he's trying to possess certain characters and all towards getting to Raven, I guess. To get Raven to come back yeah. to essentially hell. Mm. So I love the Teen Titans. I loved Cyborg mm. in this. Very different from the Teen Titans cartoon series on the Cartoon Network that we're used to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just 
goofy as shit. Right. You know? Right. Uh, this was really fun, actually. Of, of course, these children would have issues. Uh, of course, Damien would have issues. Who wouldn't? Like, if your father was Batman and your mother was... Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Talia Al Ghul. Talia. So, like, of course you're going to have issues. And it's kind of interesting to see, like, oh, Batman's like... He doesn't even take him to Teen Titans. Nightwing takes him to Teen Titans. And right, yeah. Drops him off. And because Nightwing used to be a part of the Titans when mm-hmm. he was Robin. And then Starfire is now in charge of Teen Titans. She's their mentor. Yeah. So she's older. I did feel like they depowered Starfire a little bit in this movie where there's things that she could have easily handled or should have been able to easily handle that mm-hmm. she struggles with. Um, I'm like, Starfire is way more powerful than that. Come on. Yeah, I do. I do just like when she gets played down. Although seeing Raven and all her power was pretty cool. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm I'm mildly positive on Justice League versus Teen Titans. I d- was very disappointed in War. Wasn't thrilled with that one. It sounds like you're kind of the same way. You didn't like War so much as Teen Titans. No, but I you d- like Teen Titans more than me. I did like Teen Titans more, yeah. Very cool. So that's um, an update on the DC animated movies that I'm going through. And lastly, we finished... The season three of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. One of our favorite TV shows of the past couple years. We've, I think, talked about it in past episodes. Uh, We finally caught up with season three. I believe they're working on season four right now. I'm not sure what the release schedule looks like on on that uh, per se. It's supposed to come out sometime in 2020. Looks like these things come out at the end of the year. So thankfully, we're actually on top of it, Shanna. My goodness. So what did you think of season three of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I just, you know, my favorite part of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is actually Alex Borstein. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Tony Shalhoub. Oh, yes. They are my, my favorite people. I just, I love them so much. You know, Susie, who is Alex Borstein's character. Susie Meyerson, who is the manager to the uh, title character, Midge Maisel. Yeah, the way she goes and fights for her all the time Uh is is really awesome to watch. Tony Shalhoub, you know... He goes through some changes in this episode. A lot of changes. Or this season, from past seasons. I guess it's his late life crisis. Yeah. And um, that's really interesting to see how uncomfortable Tony Shalhoub, the dad, and... Marion Hinkle, his his wife. Marion Hinkle, Rose. How uncomfortable they get. We also get to learn a little bit more about Marion Hinkle, uh, her character. Yes. Uh, where she comes from and all of that. And it's quite fascinating and a little bit unbelievable, but at the same time believable. Mm. So it's... You're talking about her family and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's super interesting. Yeah. And we They learned... go giant a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just because they could. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, we have a budget. We could do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Let's do it. <laughs> so really fun. You know, also the ex-husband... Joel. Uh, Joel, you know, it's interesting seeing how he evolves. Yeah, I didn't, honestly, when we first watched this show a couple years ago, I really didn't think Joel would be in the picture this long. You know, sometimes TV shows, they'll like an actor, they want to hang on to them and figure out different ways to hang on to the character and keep them in the picture. And that's kind of what's happened here with Joel. But I feel like 
they've justified it and justified why he would be still in the picture and why we would still care about him yeah and have him go through his own challenges yeah well and also them trying to navigate their feelings Mm. and not one of my favorite parts of the season when in what is otherwise a great season when they go back and forth in time like memories Uh uh-huh I think that helps me. Okay, yeah. Like, if they weren't adding the memories of how sweet their relationship used to be, uh-huh. you know, th- then yeah. I, I, I agree with you there, absolutely. But I hate the back and forth, will they, won't they, convention of TV shows. Um, you know, you kind of want your characters to commit to a decision and move on, you know. I think we might have an answer to that finally in this season. But ultimately, I think this is one, this is a, a great season it doesn't do what i expect it to do you think that there's going to be some challenges that happen between Susie and midge with midge or Susie trying to grow her agency as a manager and take on another client Mm -hmm. but it doesn't go in the direction i expect it to go i will say though i'm often wrong I think season four is going to bring about some serious challenges for our characters. Yeah, that... I think that's when we're going to see real life. If you decide to follow a talent, here's what's going to happen. I think we're going to see real pain. Yeah. Uh, we're possibly going to see really high highs and then really, really low lows. Between the characters, too, not just with what things that happen to them, but I think there's some setup of some things that have happened that once they come to light, they it might we might see some rough times mm-hmm. uh, ahead in season four. Uh, but I have to say, I look forward to seeing that. I do too. I, I think the way that this show pushes their story and the performances that they get from everyone, it's always a lot of fun. And the last episode of this season made me cry ah. because I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that they did that because yep. most of the time to me, it's like, oh, no. But this time I was like, oh, no. Yep. So and we'll see. also a quick shout out to Sterling K. Brown, who uh, guest stars on a few episodes as, a, as another manager of another talent. He's always awesome. Not in it as much as I expected him to be, but he is in the last episode. That's for sure. And uh, I don't think we'll be seeing uh, much of that character after this season. And let's mm-hmm. just say that. Carrie Elwes also, uh, I got very excited when I saw him in a couple episodes of this season too. So anyway, lots to look forward to if you haven't caught up with season three of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. We are big fans and we highly recommend it. That about does it for the week in review for us. On to the main event, which is our discussion of the 2010s in review. So I thought, Shanna, you know, we've, we've been covering a lot of ground over the past year regarding the 2010s in conjunction with the blog, which has done the same. You can check out, there's a whole, whole Best of the 2010s tab on the blog at thegibsonreview.com. But I thought one way to kind of start is to start with the box office of the decade. What were the highest grossing movies of the decade? And what kind of a picture does that give us of the decade? Oh, this will be fun. You know? So the 10 highest grossing movies, I thought it was was very interesting. And perhaps a surprise to no one that Disney ruled the decade with all but, I think, three movies. Those three movies it did not own 
that were among the highest grossing of the decade were Avatar, which was the highest grossing movie of 2010, even though it opened December 2009. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 2, which was in 2011. And Jurassic World in 2015. The rest of the decade was is all owned by Disney. You got uh, several... Avengers movies, which make up five of the top ten highest grossing movies. Those are The Avengers from 2012, Iron Man 3 the next year, Guardians of the Galaxy the following year in 2014. Then you have Black Panther in 2018, which, by the way, was the highest grossing movie of the decade at $11.8 billion. Black Panther was? Yes. That's exciting. And that's just domestically, by the way. I'm just looking at domestic numbers. Um, and then, uh, lastly, Avengers Endgame in 2019. The highest ranked, as I said, was Black Panther. The lowest of the top ten was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Part two made $10.1 billion. So, the rest, by the way, is Jurassic World in 2015. Finding Dory, which is probably the biggest surprise of all from 2016. I never would have thought that was one of the highest grossing movies of the decade. Uh, that made $11.3 million. 2017, you have The Last Jedi, part of the Star Wars universe. Black Panther in 2018, as I mentioned, in Avengers Endgame in 2019. So, Star Wars... Force Awakens in 2015 was beat by Jurassic World, which is uh, crazy to me. But you do have one Star Wars movie, five Avengers movies, and one Pixar movie uh, that made the top ten. So, Shanna, what, what do you make of of the, those movies? When I look at these movies, we've got little. We've got like a couple categories. We've got Marvel, Star Wars. Jurassic, Harry Potter, something new, Avatar. All right, so you've got one original piece of work, and then you've got everything else that shows us loyalty. Loyalty. If you make a really good, if you contribute a really good movie in that franchise, the people will come, you know? Okay. So you did really well with Star Wars, people came. You did a really good Jurassic thing. People came. Oh, I forgot about Finding Dory. That's the only animated one on there, isn't it? It is the only one on there. And, and again, it's like, okay, well, you have the Finding Nemo fans yeah. who came back for Dory. I guess so. So I think this is all about loyalty or fans, really. Giving uh, the fans what they want. Okay, I say that this is about Disney ruling all. <laughs> oh, they, well, I yeah, mean, sure. Like, clearly, look, I would say for the most part, looking at this, there's not an awful, single awful movie. Jurassic World isn't a great movie. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun, but it's got its problems. It's well, probably was... the worst of all of them, although we weren't huge fans of Finding Dory. Finding Dory is pretty good. No, it's I, interesting. I really hated Finding Dory. It... <laughs> I love seeing Dory. It's interesting but I hated that the story. out of all the Pixar films that came out this decade, that's the one that grossed the most and made it into the top 10 of the decade. That, that, that's really peculiar to me. Well, this is also very concerning because this is data for people like Disney. They're like, okay, well, look what did well. Mm. 
oh, sequels and connected movies yeah. did well. Yeah. And it's going to make them want to do more. But honestly, I would rather see the next decade have more stuff like Avatar, have more original stuff, even if it's just like three more, you know? But not of Avatar. You mean just like uh, yeah, I original mean like, movies. Give us something original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because you are going to get more Avatar finally for yes. realsies. <laughs> yeah. After being delayed for uh, almost 10 years. Well, I'm super excited to see Zoe Saldana do her thing. Hmm, okay. I do think it's interesting when, when I look at this. A, Avatar is the only original film on this list. And, and yet, its only influence stems from one of the biggest trends of the decade that I feel like we could talk about, which is 3D. Oh. 3D especially defined the first, helped define the first half of the decade, right? I happen to have here a website, Is It Real or Fake 3D, which was a guide for me for several years during the decade. And I look through what was actually a real 3D, films that were supposedly conceived in 3D, not the post-converts for, you know, that were just money-grabbing opportunities. And, you know, there's a couple exceptions like Hugo and Gravity, but not many movies, not not much of that trend produced anything really worthwhile, right? Like, as far as its form. Most of the list of films that took advantage of the 3D format were animated films, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then anything outside of that, Life of Pi is also a notable exception. Yeah. You know, so but, there were some people, there were some movies that really pushed it. They were trying to utilize 3D as a legitimate tool. And there was a bit of a debate at the beginning of the decade of, you know, how legitimate a tool this is and and how much of this is in the future. Great Gatsby was by Baz Luhrmann in 2013. That was just a horrible experience. I agree. That is one that did try to utilize it that was not an animated film, but not a lot. And, you know, after you hit the midpoint of the decade, you know, the list kind of dwindles down slowly to one movie a year. I mean, you know, 2017 was just the latest Transformers movie. Nothing really in 2018. And then 2019, you just had Alita Battle Angel. Not really blowing anybody's skirts up, you know. And then I guess X-Men Apocalypse in 2016 was... was the, so just kind of going to the point that this was a trend that we saw this decade that really didn't go anywhere despite a couple creators like Scorsese and Lerman and and Lee, Ain Lee, trying to do something with it. Look, I don't know. I have a personal preference that if you're going to do 3D, I think you should do IMAX, not necessarily 3D. And if you're going to use that much space, you need to be really conscious of what you're doing. And I think sometimes people got it right, and most of the time people got it wrong. Did you know that that South African movie Kumba was also released in 3D? I didn't, but I would assume that that was them hopping on the bandwagon. Yeah. So that bandwagon has fallen. Well, I think Harry Potter, because I totally forgot that that was on the list. Harry Potter, you know, that's the last film. That's seven films in total. And that shows that if you if you keep everything tight and you keep the actors and you know 
you don't mess up the sequels, uh-huh. you know, you'll reap the benefits. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then the other thing from the trend, uh, from looking at these 10 films I see is the biggest thing is Marvel and its shared universe just really blowing up. And that, I would say, is probably one of the most influential things of the decade was the idea of shared universe, which 2012's Avengers, which was one of the highest grossing movies of the decade, kind of proved it was the thing that proved that this works it can work but one of the most defining aspects of this decade was this attempt at shared universes Mm. you had as soon as avengers worked and marvel was going full steam ahead with at least two movies a year i think they like came up with something like 20 movies in the decade you had other studios that wanted some of that big green that they saw from shared universes. So you had Universal trying to make use of their legacy monster movies, the Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein, all that. And so they tried starting their own, what they called the, I think it was called the Dark Universe, which was supposed to be kicked off officially with The Mummy, starring Tom Cruise. Totally failed. They were retroactively trying to include Dracula Unbound, I think it was called, as part of that. Both movies really did not work critically or commercially. Then Wait, you, are you saying there was a Dracula movie? There was. You probably I didn't forgot. I even know. Yes, yeah, there you go. It was like, I don't know, 2014 or something it came out. Maybe even before, I'm not sure. But anyway, they were one that had tried it. You had... Warner Brothers, which owns DC Comics, saying, well, we can't let, you know, we can't let Marvel go unchecked here. We got to bring out our guys, you know. And so they tried to create their own extended universe, the DCEU. And, you know, they made several attempts, right? You had, retroactively, they're like, oh, okay, so Man of Steel from 2013, that's going to be part of this. But we're officially starting this with, what was it that they officially started with? Was it Batman v Superman that started it? There was a whole cluster of movies where they had, like, Suicide Squad, Batman v Superman, and, like, then Wonder Woman came out in 2017, I think? And they had Aquaman in 2018. I kind of am for, it's a little I'm a little fuzzy on the details. Justice League came out in 2017. So I think like Batman v Superman might have been the one that they're like we're going to start this whole big universe thing. We're going to introduce all these characters and you know what? You have a couple successful one-offs. You have Wonder Woman. That was very successful. You have Shazam last year. That worked very well. Aquaman was a finan- huge financial success. Not that great a movie, but a huge financial success. But the other half of this attempt completely stunk, right? And they just for some, they decided to go dark, and it just did not work as well as a counterbalance to what Marvel was doing. I mean, I think of Zack Snyder, mm-hmm. and I think of Watchmen, and I'm like, yeah, that's where he belongs. Hmm. You know, he belongs in Vertigo land, you know? Interesting, okay. Um, I don't think he belongs with DC. I think you need someone who's in between. Well, Vertigo is owned by DC, by the way. Oh, well, okay. I mean, 
whatever. Honestly, <laughs> it was the more adult imprint. But yeah, and then and then you had what? What else? You had? I feel like there was another. Oh, the only seemed like it really got it was James Wan's The Conjuring series, which blew up into this huge and one of the most successful horror franchises where you had Conjuring 1 and 2, but you also had, amidst all that, The Nun, The Curse of La Lorna, the Annabelle movies. I know nothing of this. All of (laughs) these were related and tied all the way back to the 2013 movie, I think, The Conjuring by James Wan, which is an absolute masterpiece of, of horror filmmaking. Not all those movies work, by all accounts, from what I understand. A couple are decent. The Conjuring's considering the, considered the best. But it seems like the only one to be able to take advantage of the shared universe trend and make it work. Since we're on the topic of trends, using the... 10 highest grossing movies as a jumping off point. Shannon, what other trends did you notice that took off in the 2010s? Well, what I've got here is sequels, reboots, powerful women. All at once? <laughs> no. <laughs> All separate things. All right, let's tackle I've... one at a time. So our top, t- you know, the top 10 that we've just spoken about, that totally reflects sequels. <sighs> You know, there's other things, like we got the Mad Max Fury Road. Was sequels a good thing or a bad thing this past decade? I know a lot of people feel like burned out and tired of sequels as what Hollywood's constantly doing. But did we get more good than bad out of it? I think mostly we got good out of it. But at times there was bad shit. I mean, you know, 21 and 22 Jump Street is a good example of like, well... They're both good, but 21 is really, really good. Okay. So So the first one. So a normal thing to see, like it just degrades a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh Something like X-Men was like all over the place. You know, you had something like Logan, which was phenomenal. You had Days of Future Past, which was just kind of the joining of the... um, Prequel and the previous series from the 2000s. Yeah. And so that something like that was really exciting to mm, me. Okay. But yeah, and then we had re- we had a lot of sequels from Pixar this decade. Yeah, yeah. At least everyone got a two. Which <laughs> you know? I would say, with the exception of Toy Story three, for the most part, the sequels that Pixar were cranking out didn't necessarily work or achieve, reach their their normal creative highs. Yeah, Incredibles 2, not much going on there. You got Monsters um, University, Cars 2 and 3. Yeah. Uh, we already t- mentioned Dory. And yeah, so on and so forth. You know, it's sort of an up 2 or a Wally 2. We hit almost every single one, right? Yeah. You know, it's toy- ended the decade with Toy Story 4. Yeah. Right? So, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not really sure. I think it's a, maybe a case could be made that it is, is a mixed bag. You got just as much of the the crap as you got of, of good stuff in terms of sequels. I know for one thing, a lot of sequels were confused for being reboots. Yeah, like we had this discussion a few minutes ago where I was like, well, Mad Max Fury Road is a reboot. And you were like, no, it's a sequel. So I was like, oh, okay. Right. Well, it is... it's more like a prequel, right? No, it's technically a sequel because you oh, have imagery. Oh, already had that. Yeah, you have oh. imagery that acknowledges the first film. Oh, okay. 
I never remember the first film. Mm. So, but there was you know it's it's a it's a thirty year delayed sequel, but it's you know that. Yeah. And then uh, you have so you have reboots and then you have remakes. I think that's one thing that a lot of people confuse too. Yeah. A reboot w- a would good be example. Ghostbusters. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's a really good example of a reboot. Was yeah. the female led Ghostbusters? They are trying to reboot the franchise. It wasn't a remake of a story. Of the original story or anything. It wasn't a sequel to the original movies. I mean, movies. they advertised that it was a type of sequel. But I think they had to change their marketing. And I don't think they changed it fast enough. So I feel like I, f- I feel like it's a reboot. It's like a new thing. Because old, char- old actors come in. Mm-hmm. And they're not who they were. You just reminded me. You are right. It is absolutely a reboot. And I think what you were thinking about when you said that it was advertised as a sequel is I think that, that was one of the attempted shared universes that failed immediately because they wanted to create Columbia Pictures, uh, Sony, wanted to create the Ghostbuster core where there's a bunch of Ghostbusters throughout the country and they had another male-led project in mind. And then once that female-led project just did not do very well and I think was the the lowest grossing film in Paul Feig's career, then they abandoned all of that. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not okay with it. I really... I feel like the cinematic release of the movie was was bad. But if you look at the uncut version, and I will say this till my grave, the uncut version was p- pretty decent and we deserved another one. We, if we have, if, if Hollywood has the ability to throw out a bunch of trash like Transylvania 4 or 3, I, I lost <laughs> count, mm-hmm. like you can give us another Ghostbusters woman, you know? So we'll see what happens in the future here with Ghostbusters. I, I just I'm I'm so disheartened that I don't get to see my full woman again. I would argue that the theatrical version is decent. The director's cut is better, yes. but has its issues too, where there's some jokes that should have been still cut shorter than they they were. Well, but like, let's what did use... you expect when you had all four of those women? You know, a good editor, but. Oh. Let's use that as a jumping off point to one of the other things that you noticed about this decade, which is uh, you you phrased it as powerful women. Could you clarify? You know, we have this Ghostbusters movie that was all female led. Uh, what is it? Ah, when you, so we have you... an hour to talk about my thesis here. <laughs> Very good. Here we no. go. No. Everybody jump on board. <laughs> I have the best PowerPoint for you. Okay. So very briefly, powerful woman. It's like, you know, Me Too happened, Time's Up happened. We were done waiting for Wonder Woman. We finally got Wonder Woman. So here's what kind of happened. We had, we had our first female-led heroine films. We had real-life women who have athletic ability and uh, are ma- masters of their craft, like Black, uh, Black Swan's not real life, but... You know, we had Black Swan and we had I, Tonya. And then we had really great comedies with women who just so happened to sometimes be heroines in their own right, whether it was Spy or it was Bridesmaids. Being a friend to someone uh, coming up for their wedding, that's a lot of hard work, I tell you. Two Paul Feig films, by the way. Oh, well, there we go. 
we had women achieving different things in real life to bizarre. So you had little woman uh, achieving being a writer, but you know, also being honest with herself that she was lonely, she needed someone. Joe March, you mean? Yeah. And mm. then something like The Breadwinner, where the daughter fights for her father. Mm. So, I mean, that's just as brief as I can get. Well, and also to add on top of that, I think this is, you're right. This is a key component of the decade. I mean, you had even before Time's Up and Me Too, which one movement followed right after the other, uh, I think at the end of 2017, if I remember correctly. You had before that in 2015, you know, a lot of social media outcry against body shaming and, and you know, a lot of girls being told to go home because of what they're wearing. And all this was kind of leading up to a certain degree of anger. And, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of it was being reflected in film in, in a variety of ways. And you saw a lot more interesting female characters and also a lot more female directors and a demand yeah. for representation and recognition of females behind the camera. I mean, we had so many great female talents rise or come into prominence this past decade. You know, like Kelly Reichardt made some uh, excellent films uh, this decade. You had Greta Gerwig, of course, mm-hmm. came out with a couple films. I you think know. we have to remember Karen Kurosawa. Karen Kurosawa. Uh, Patty Jenkins, who hadn't made a movie in 15 years, came out with a huge smash, Wonder Woman. I want her right? to make more stuff. Well, and you <laughs> like, will this year. All the time. Uh, but you had so many fil- women in, in, in film, and both in the indie world, but also some of them making something like Marielle Heller with Can You Ever Forgive Me, Diary of a, a Teenage Girl, and then ending the decade with uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, getting opportunities to make studio pictures chloe Zhao, who made the writer she's going to start the decade with a marvel film later this year you you had all just this kind of steady rise of women getting a little bit more of of the the picture you know um or at least you know getting more recognition even if for most of the decade they were sidelined to still having to do independent film and prove themselves that way they certainly had critical success and a lot of fans in the cinephile circles i think came about through it and and you know gave them some opportunities in the studio circuit too well i think we also have to remember someone like lulu wang yes who who who, who ended the decade yes with the farewell was that her debut by the way no, it looks like she had something else. Okay. I think it's called Touchy or Touch. Okay. Something like that. And then she has a couple shorts. But I think this was like her first big one. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So a lot of that, I think that's one of the best and most defining things about the decade. And also Anna Bowden became one of the first women to direct a superhero film, too. Uh, she co-directed with her husband, I think Ryan Fleck? I could be uh, remembering wrong. Captain Marvel was uh, the film they directed at the uh, end of the decade, March of 2019. So that's a great thing. I also really enjoy how female characters, you know, as you said, they got a lot stronger. We got a lot more variety of female characters. It's not just the mom. It's not just the... Uh, the wife that we're seeing we're seeing even nannies so in Roma we saw a nanny and her mom boss and the relationship they had with all the children mm-hmm. and I think that that's really important you know we saw 
we saw something really wonderful in a time where we have Me Too and Time's Up. Somewhere after those two movements, we have, you know, certain states across the country trying to control women's bodies. And we had the most the most realistic depiction of abortion happening in Obvious Child. And that's a really, really important feminist film, I think. Well, it's not so much a depiction of the actual abortion, more about struggling with the decision of, of abortion. Yes, and what was awesome about it is that you didn't just see her her view. You saw her best friend, you saw her mother, uh-huh. and I think someone else. Uh-huh. And they all had different stories and they were all taking place in different times. And it's just a it's just to show you why we need to keep something as important as that as safe as possible. So in in short, the decade was the decade of women and hopefully this continues into the 20s as well. I will say also, before we move on to wrap up this topic, one last thing that I noticed about this decade was this was a great decade for black cinema too. So much about... I was just thinking that. Oh, fantastic. So many movies, especially towards the end of the decade, but I'm, I'm sure those examples throughout the decade really like were reacting to things going on in real life. You had, you know, in real life, you had a lot of issues with unarmed African-Americans being shot and killed, basic pullovers by police. And you saw some of that reflected in movies like The Hate You Give, you had other issues like that were being raised in, in films like, well, Blind Spotty was another movie that dealt with that topic also. From well, what last about year. Fruitvale Station? And you got Fruitvale Station, and yes, then perfect did one. Detroit count? Uh, Detroit is looking and taking an incident from the past okay. and reflecting on, on the present day in interesting ways but more more successfully and notably i think you have sorry to bother you mm-hmm. and just a numerous others there's if beale street could talk which was a movie that we still haven't caught up with but was of, of great note there is just so many and um and then of course you had in you had african-americans being so wonderfully represented in one of the biggest popcorn movies of the decade, the biggest popcorn movies of the decade, Black Panther, which was an practically all African-American cast or all black cast, I should say, because, you know, variety of accents going on in that film. You many know. black people from many different cultures. Yeah, countries. yeah. And, and that was really cool because for the first time, yeah, no, for the first time in I don't know how long, we had an all black cast uh, in a mainstream film. And Andy Serkis was the bad guy. And Andy Serkis was one of two... <laughs> one of the bad guys. One of two white characters in the yeah. entire film. And he was... He had all of ten minutes in the film, I think, right? Yeah. So that's really awesome. And again, I hope to see more of that in a variety of different ways reflected in the, in the 20s, too. So, But we should finish up here. I wanted to... I thought it was a good idea. You know, they've been hearing from me on the GibsonReview.com my picks for the best of the decade, and they're, they should, around the time this is released, already I've seen my picks for the worst of the decade. What was what were your picks, Shanna, of the, the best that the decade had to offer? I mean, look, something that I noticed about this decade is that it was a really good decade. We had really good stuff. 
We had very creative things. We had movies that called out on pasts, such as Spotlight. You know, we had things that were phenomenally respectful and comedic about high school seniors. We had Booksmart. We had great documentaries like The Punk Singer. We had... Searching for Sugar Man. Well, I was going to say Searching for Sugar Man, but then we also had, you know, that was so creative in, a, in its documentary. And another creative documentary was the uh, Stories We Tell. Oh, yes, yes. By and Sarah then Pauly. we had like even bigger bodies of work in the documentary category, like OJ Made in America. I mm. mean, that's a phenomenal amount of work to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what was it like, ten or twelve hours? No, it was only oh, eight. Was it eight? Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. we might as well just round it up. But I say only <laughs> eight. You know. <laughs> and then you know, we had a lot of good horror that wasn't stereotypically slasher. And wasn't stereotypically scare you shitless paranormal out of your mind. Although we had great horror so, from both of those too. Well, yeah, yeah, but then we had the in-between that came out that mm. were very enjoyable for me. Still scary, but like in a different level. So, you know, we had Get Out. Mm. We had Attack the Block. Mm-hmm. We had A Quiet Place. So all of these really fun, mm. uh, well, you know, uh, like Attack the Block was fun. And, you know, Get Out was awesomely political and A Quiet Place was super creative. So really original content mm-hmm. in that category, not just the, here's Dracula. Right, 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 right. Gotcha. So that was really exciting. I, I felt like that was really good. And then maybe the invitation counts in that category too. What would you crown out of all that as the best film of the decade? Do you mean in horror-wise? In general. In general, what's the best movie of the decade? Yes. Well, I think that's really difficult to do because you have masterpieces like Blade Runner 2049. You have Endgame. There's Inception. I, jeez, this is really difficult. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know what I would crown the winner because what's your best? Well... I recently published my picks for the top 10 films of the decade, which you could check out at thegibsonreview.com. And I ended up landing on The Social Network from 2010. Oh, of course you did. What does that mean? Of course I did. <laughs> you just, you really, lo- you really love that movie, and why don't you tell us why? Well, they can read some of my thoughts at the, on the article at thegibsonreview.com, but... I think that is one of the most decade-defining or era-defining movies. And, you know, at that point, it was a period where geeks had ruled the the world, essentially. You know, these geeks who were made fun of and poked fun and caricatured in the 80s had grown up. And look, like, at that point already, the world is 100% dependent on what the geeks can do, right? Right? Everybody goes crazy over the next Apple iPhone I, thing, I thought it was more right? like nerds, but okay. Well, uh, social media created by geeks became, you know, because it's all like about technology and coding and all that sort of stuff, ended up ruling our lives more than I even expected in 2010. You know, it was just getting started in 2010. In a way, social network foresaw what was just to come. And it, it and, and on top of it all, of course, you got 
the rise of comic book movies during the 2000s and which dominated as we can see the following decade this past decade you know mark i'm not speaking in code erica you're obsessed with finals clubs you have finals clubs ocd and you need to see someone about it we'll prescribe you some sort of medication you don't care if the side effects may include blindness final clubs not finals clubs and there's a difference between being obsessed and being motivated yes there is. Well, you do. That was cryptic, so you do speak in code. I didn't mean to be cryptic. I'm just saying I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun, and they lead to a better life. Teddy Roosevelt didn't get elected president because he was a member of the Phoenix Club. He was a member of the Porcellian, and yes, he did. Well, why don't you just concentrate on being the best you you can be? Did you really just say that? I was kidding. Although, just because something's trite doesn't make it any less I want to try true. to be straightforward with you and tell you that I think you might want to be a little more supportive. If I get in, I will be taking you to the events and the gatherings, and you'll be meeting a lot of people you wouldn't normally get to meet. You would do that for me? We're dating. Okay. Well, I want to try and be straightforward with you and let you know that we're not anymore. What do you mean? I'm not dating anymore, I'm sorry. Is this a joke? No, it's not. You're breaking up with you me? You are gonna introduce me to people I wouldn't normally have the chance to meet. What the f- What is that supposed to mean? Wait, settle down. What is it supposed to mean? Erica, the reason we're able to sit here and drink right now is because he used to sleep with the door guy. The door guy? His name is Bobby. I have not slept with the door guy. The door guy is a friend of mine, and he's a perfectly good class of people. And what part of Long Island are you from? Wimbledon? Wait. I'm going back to wait, my door. Wait, wait. Is this real? Yes. Okay, then wait, I apologize, okay? I have to go study. Erica? Yes. I'm sorry, I mean it. I appreciate that, but I have to go study. Come on, you don't have to study, you don't have to study, let's just talk. I can't. Why? Because it is exhausting. Dating you is like dating a stairmaster. All I meant is that you're not likely to... Currently. I wasn't making a comment on your parents. I was just saying that you go to BU. I was stating a fact, that's all. And if it seemed rude, then of course I apologize. I have to go study. You don't have to study. Why do you keep saying I don't have to study? Because you go to BU. <laughs> you wanna get some food? I'm sorry you are not sufficiently impressed with my education. I'm sorry I don't have a robot, so we're even. I think we should just be friends. I don't want friends. I was just being polite. I have no intention of being friends with I'm you. I'm under some pressure right now from my OS class, and if we could just order some food, I think we should be... Okay, you are probably going to be a very successful computer person. But you're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true because you're an asshole and there's so much you know it's it's incredibly well acted incredibly well directed it's got one of the best scores of the decade by atticus ross and trent reznor uh it's just uh absolutely a perfect masterpiece and it's one of the only films that i ever scored a 10 out of 10 wow okay well knowing all that information i still don't know what i would pick (laughs) What are your top three, at the very least? Because people want would be interested in hearing. What What do you think are the top three films of the decade? Look, it's based on where we need to go in life. Okay. I think Won't You Be My Neighbor, a documentary. Oh, really? Is, is really important. Uh, we need to remember to be compassionate. I think it's a good reminder. Uh, so that's one of the top of the three. And now that I like said oh a direction we have to go in then i have three billboards out of mississippi missouri i mean missouri <laughs> evan missouri 
look, I mean, there's, it, it like tests our humanity. So I have one extreme to the other. Huh. That's kind of how I am is like I'm one extreme or I'm the other. Interesting. And then I think that, you know, the last one is probably, I'd probably pick Inception because it's original content. Mm-hmm. It's visually masterful. I, mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's a lot going on in it. And it's very personal. They say we only use a fraction of our brain's true potential. Now, that's when we're awake. When we're asleep, our mind can do almost anything. Such as? Well, imagine you're designing a building, right? You consciously create each aspect. But sometimes it feels like it's almost creating itself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah like I'm discovering it. Genuine inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in a dream, our mind continuously does this. We create and perceive our world simultaneously. And our mind does this so well that we don't even know what's happening. That allows us to get right in the middle of that process. How? By taking over the creating part. Now this is where I need you. You create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream and they fill it with their subconscious. How could I ever acquire enough detail to make them think that it's reality? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You you never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the... uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now? We're dreaming. You're actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. Stay calm. Uh, that's an excellent pick, Inception. Uh, out of the three, would in would you say Inception's the the best? Yeah, only because of like all the filmmaking techniques that go with it. Mm. I think there's a lot to to that pick, and. Uh, I actually don't necessarily disagree with you. It is, I mean, especially when you consider how influential that movie was in pop culture and infected our lexicon. You know, people refer to, you know, inception, you know, inceptioning someone or someone being inception, you know. Well, there's a lot of people who can experience it too, at least the multi levels of dreaming. And they know, Mm -hmm. I mean, do you ever have that? Do you ever have multi levels? Uh, Extremely rarely, but certainly not to the extent that you see in the movie, Mm. you know. But yeah, that's. That movie is my laugh. So, okay, (laughs) so what is the worst movie? Oh, let's talk about that. See, because I know what's going there okay um, and maybe reason, i missed a few that was the e- that was easier that was than the easy picking one. the best that's easy right. to throw stuff under the bus you all know? right so what is the worst movie for you so like i guess what i hated about this decade was being disappointed whether it was by a story that failed or a movie that had a stellar cast and you know they're capable of things but it was still an awful story mm. sequels that were unnecessary uh, disappointed me Wasted animation equals like Hotel Transylvania, well, me stuff. I mean, those are original things. They should have just kept making original things, but instead they kept going and getting sequels. And then things like Toxic Romance. Toxic Romance, okay. So how I define Toxic Romance 
movies. I should actually say that. Toxic romance movies uh-huh. is where they're just, it's like, it's like torture love. Let's show you what love shouldn't be and make you think that that's what love should be. Okay. Is, is so what, like Twilight. Yeah, is, is how I see it. Okay. So I feel like one of the worst movies of the decade was One Day. Oh, with Anne Hathaway. With Anne Hathaway, who I love dearly, but Mm -hmm. what a shit depiction of what their interpretation, what the filmmaker's interpretation of romance is. Okay. This is not a good film to watch. You know, and One Day isn't the only one guilty of this. You've got Fifty Shades of Grey, um, and I've talked to people who participate in, is it SML? LMS? (laughs) No, uh, BDSM. BDSM, and they hate that this is how they're depicting people doing that. Right. You know, uh, another one guilty of it is Mother. Another one guilty of yeah. it is the Darren Aronofsky film. To clarify, yeah. Oh, um, wait, are you talking about the Darren Aronofsky film or the Bong Joon Ho film? I'm not talking about Bong Joon Ho. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, I we don't need to see films like that hmm. anywhere. So, and then Twilight is guilty of it too. Uh, I know it's like the last film that falls into this decade, right? Well, I mean... What did it mostly fall in this decade? Most of it did. Okay. The first one was in like, oh, eight, oh, nine. Okay, gotcha. All right. And then others that, you know, just truly disappointed me were The Circle, mm-hmm. Jupiter Ascending, Home, the animated uh, movie. Yeah. Cloud Atlas, so much potential, and just nothing to show for it. Prometheus, Freebirds, Oblivion, and then maybe one of the top worst films of the decade is The Last Airbender. Is that your pick for the worst film of the decade? Gosh, you know, it's between One Day and The Last Airbender. Really? <laughs> yeah. Bullet to your head. If you are if you had to watch one uh, again, uh, which one would it not be? That you would you would I don't spare want to watch yourself of them, man. Uh, I guess I would spare myself from one day. All right, because I cannot go through that that interpretation of romance ever again. All right. So for my end, I'll start with the the worst of the decade, and I'll say that I have of two minds when it comes to the worst of the decade. There's the movies that just look like shit and ended up being total shit. You know, like movies like. Amazing Spider-Man 2, Rough Night, Fifty Shades of Grey, as you mentioned. Michael Bay's produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, I forgot about that. Uh, Woodshock. Remember that movie? With that was Kristen... so disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Canyons, you know. Even, even I I detested Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted, you know. Or even uh, Detention or, gosh, what's his name? I forget his name right now. Uh, Super was the superhero film. Uh, that had Rain Wilson in it. James Gunn was the director, you know. But then you have, on the other hand, you have the movies that you looked forward to, that had promise, that had potential, either because of talent or because of what the content was, and it just didn't work, and it was, it was just crushingly disappointing. And I feel like when you're making a worse list, which there should be one on the gibsonreview.com the last post of the of the best of the 2010s along with the top 100 movies of the decade i think it's more interesting if you look at the latter than the former cuz people will just kind of expect the shitty movies to be shitty and you just kind of move on so there are several movies that i think you'll find detailed in the blog post that were huge disappointments and just 
not good, did not live up to their potential. But I landed on as the worst of the decade, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. What a good choice. Which is the very definition of bloated. It was like, what is this? A two and a half hour movie. It wanted to cram in an adaptation of Frank Miller's Dark Knight return story. It wanted to cram in... Uh, the, the death of Superman story. It wanted to cram in an introduction of the entire cast of Justice League characters and all along the skeletal plot of Lex Luthor and I, th- I think it was like importing something, essentially, and, and tracking this shipping container, you know, and what was inside it. And it was just like the only, rede- the only not redeeming, but the only good thing about the movie was really... Gal Gadot's debut as Wonder Woman, but you had to, you know, wallow through two hours. And I even went so far as to buy the director's cut. Because here's the thing like, Zack Snyder, to me, had proven himself with a remake of Dawn of the Dead, had proven himself with an adaptation of 300, had proven himself with Watchmen. This guy can adapt work really well. He disappointed me with Sucker Punch. His one original piece of work was really hopeful. Like, oh, God damn. But he's going back. He's going to adapt something he's really excited about. Really thought he could pull it off. And he just didn't. And But I was hoping, okay, maybe the director's cut is going to actually, like, justify everything. And it's going to make way more sense. This thing's, like, three hours plus long. And I found, you know what? You could have trimmed 70 minutes or something off wow. of, of, of plots on this and made it much tighter. It was just such an awful, awful movie, and it practically killed the DCEU before you even really got started. Of course, Justice League was the final nail in that coffin in terms of an actual cohesive story. So Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice is my pick for the worst of the decade. And, uh, yeah, and I, of course, mentioned my best of the decade, because you put me on the spot, was uh, the social network. So, but we're curious, what are your thoughts when you reflect on the decade? What stood out to you? What did you find most interesting? What did you hate? What did you like uh, came from the decade? What are your picks for the best and the worst of the decade? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That just about puts the decade to bed but now it's time for us to talk about our favorites this is the joyous time the joyful time of when we're looking at the decade what was it that thrilled us the most moving on to film faves first of all film faves for those who aren't familiar is our way of expressing our own tastes in film by counting down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic one of the things that we try to do in case we bring about uh, some titles that you hadn't heard of before is point you in the direction where you can find those titles uh, available to stream on subscription services. We focus on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, HBO Now, and Disney+. Plus. So we'll mention the, where if any of the movies that we loved most are available on those platforms. Now, Shanna, I did some research. I thought it would be interesting. Looking back on what we thought was our favorites year by year of the decade. And I'm curious, well, let me go through it first. First of all, Shanna, your favorite movie when we did our film faves of 2010 was Toy Story 3. For for 2011, it was X-Men First Class. For 2012, it was Avengers. 
For 2013, it was The Wolf of Wall Street. 2014, it was Wild. 2015 was Star Wars The Force Awakens. 2016 was Arrival. 2017, your favorite movie was Star Wars The Last Jedi. 2018 was Black Panther. And 2019, your favorite movie was Booksmart. Now, for me, on the other hand, my favorite movie in 2010 uh, in Film Face was Inception. 2011, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. 2012, The Avengers. 2013, Gravity. 2014, Edge of Tomorrow. 2015, the same as yours, Star Wars The Force Awakens. 2016, Captain America Civil War. 2017, the same as yours, Star Wars The Last Jedi. 2018, Avengers Infinity War. And 2019, Avengers Endgame. Okay? Now, when we did our genre-by-genre favorites this past year, your favorite love story of the decade was Only Lovers Left Alive. Mine was Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Your favorite animated movie of the decade was Inside Out. Mine was the Lego movie. Your favorite foreign film of the decade was the same as mine. It was A Separation from Iranian Filmmaker. Your favorite documentary of the decade was the film you mentioned earlier, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Mine was Life Itself with Roger Ebert. Your favorite action movie of the decade was Spy, and mine was Hannah. Your favorite sci-fi and fantasy film of the decade was Mad Max Fury Road. Mine was Star Wars The Force Awakens. Your favorite comic book movie was X-Men Days of Future Past. Mine was Avengers Endgame. Your favorite F-rated movie of the decade was Lady Bird. Mine was Wonder Woman. And your favorite horror movie of the decade was Only Lovers Left Alive. And mine was the horror comedy What We Do in the Shadows. So I thought it would be a good idea, first of all, to recap all of that after having gone through the whole series of everything this past decade. And I'm curious, Shanna, are we going to see many of those picks in your upcoming list here? Yes, indeed, you actually will. <laughs> um, look, if they're a favorite, they're a favorite, right? Yeah. Um, in my list, as you were going through that, there are only four that are not on that list. Oh, okay. Those lists that you talked about. Well, I'm very interested in hearing what... And I'll note them Okay. when we get to them. Very cool, very cool. Because that could be fun. Why don't you start off, off uh, by mentioning anything uh, you want to say about crafting your list and then tell us what your number 12 favorite of the decade is. Look, I had 26 favorites Mm -hmm. and it was all over the place. It included horror, it included a couple documentaries, it included some heroes, it included uh, real life heroes. And, uh, you know, you got to get it down to 12. And so I thought, well, which 12 can I not live without? Like if something happened to the DVD in our house... I would be stressed out and traumatized. Mm-hmm. So the first, the top six are definitely like, don't touch my DVD. <laughs> and <Okay. laughs> the, the other six are like, you can watch it with me kind of thing. Okay, so the bottom six are like that and the top six are just absolutely sacred to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you could argue it's all 12, but all right. you know. My number 12 is available on Netflix. It was not on the lists. It's Inception. Oh, so it's the first one not to be mentioned on, yeah, those, previous. on okay. those lists. I mean, this is a fantastic movie. It's very creative. I've already spoken about why it's awesome. Uh, you know, the performances are amazing. You've got Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, who is the woman. 
Marion uh, Cotillard. Cotillard and then who's brilliant. the other woman? That comes to work Oh, Ellen for them. Page. Yeah. Ellen Page. Mm-hmm. And then you got a couple of others, too. Tom Hardy. Yeah. Got uh, kind of well-known because of this movie. And then yeah. Dark Knight Rises after. And, like, if you're a dreamer like me, like, I dream all the freaking time, like, this is your movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hans Zimmer's score is amazing. It's one of my top scores. Iconic. Christopher Nolan, I'm looking forward to more of his work, of course. Well, what a you'll, you'll get it this year with Tenet. So let me just say about my list, I struggled similarly to you. I had 23 on my list and I battled with really whittling that thing down and even trying to figure out an organization, forget about it. So I didn't necessarily have a ranking. I just listed 12 movies in alphabetical order. For, for my list. Oh, you took the easy way out. <laughs> I see. There is nothing easy about this. I will remember that for the next decade list. <laughs> will you? Okay. That is what I will do too. Fair enough. So for my number 12, I went with, starting with A, Avengers from 2012, as well as Infinity War from 2018 and Endgame in 2019, all of which were available on Amazon Prime and Disney Plus. Not so much Age of Ultron, though. Although I I did like that, it just wasn't as much of a favorite of mine. I mean, look, like you have the movie that first brought the characters together, that proved that this could work, and then and also kicked off this whole big, huge shared universe franchise. And then you have the two movies that that kind of ended it in many ways. You know, the thing that everything was leading up to, they were some of the greatest experiences we had all decade in, in the theater, one of which was the first movie that we went to the theater together. Yeah, that's right. I was wondering in- if you'd mention that. Back in 2012. I was going to say it like three times already. (laughs) Yes. And also one of the first superhero movies to introduce one of the best female characters in superheroes, uh, Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson. Mm -hmm. Of course, one of the iconic characters of the decade. They're all iconic. They're all fantastic and helped define and shape the decade. So, yes, uh, it was very difficult to parse them all out. So they are... My number 12 pick, Avengers and Endgame and Infinity War. So what's your number 11? So you did alphabetical. Yes. And you picked three for your number 12. We're going to have a problem here. (laughs) You are definitely Cheater McCheaterson right now. What was your number 11? (laughs) My number 11 is Looper. uh, Time travel in movie that deals with, uh, you know assassins and disposal of bodies through time uh-huh. and space yeah you're right it's by ryan johnson it has bruce willis and joseph gordon levitt again and emily blunt and emily blunt who was amazing, amazing this decade you know i'd argue that joseph gordon levitt was great too but i think emily blunt's amazing yeah i think that's about right that's a good scale 
Yeah, so uh, I love that movie. I love its concept. I love that we, you know, time traveling doesn't have to just be goofy and fun. It can be very practical, like dealing with assassination and, and bodies. And so, in the underworld with the hitmans and all that. Yeah, like what if the underworld got a hold of it? What would they mm-hmm. do with it? Right. With that technology. Right. So lots of fun. Very cool. My number 11 represents one of the other things I tried to take into consideration with this list, which was movies that we talk to death, (laughs) you know, and there's no way I could ignore 2017's Band-Aid, which is available on Netflix. And if you recall, if you're a longtime listener, you may have heard us talk about this before. It is about a married couple who's going through some troubles and they decide to turn their fights into music. They make music together, Shanna. And it's wonderfully and beautifully done. A nice balance of comedy and drama by Zoe Lister-Jones. Hey, hey. And going back to that topic of how women help define the decade, I really hope to see more from her. I think she got a superhero movie, but I'm not sure. Wait, she did? Holy shit. Let me look it up now. I could be misremembering. But I look forward to hearing more from her. Band-Aid was a remarkable, I think, a directorial debut for her. Uh, greatly underseen, so do check it out on Netflix. It is 100% worthwhile. Ooh, she's going to do The Croft. That's oh right. Oh, my. That's right. She's remaking oh. The Croft. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm just going to geek over her for a little bit. That's lots of fun. And when you're ready, <laughs> share with us your number 10. I cannot wait to see what she does. Okay, my na- oh, so Looper was not on any of my lists. And then my number 10 is not on any of my lists either. And we do apologize if you hear our dog. It is a very, very blustery day tonight. Mm. We're doing what we can. Uh, she thinks that everyone and anyone is coming to visit because of the wind through the door. So... Here we go. My number 10 is available on Disney, and it is Moana. I can lead with pride. I can make us strong. I'll be satisfied if I play along. But the voice inside sings a different song. What is wrong with me? See the light as it shines on the sea. This is such a great songbook. This is so empowering. This is one of two animated movies on my list. And so you could argue it's my second favorite animated movie of the year. I love the character. Uh, Oh, sorry. The decade. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it would be a lot if it was in one year. Jeez. She's, I love her journey. I think her journey is my favorite out of all the characters. Uh, Disney princesses. I love it. My next pick is... One of the most rousing films of the decade I ever saw and experienced, and it took me a while to get you to come around to it, but I think you did. It is, I think it's from 2015, if I'm not mistaken, Creed. Oh, how exciting. With Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone reprising his role as Rocky, 
It is, as I said, rousing, but it's also touching at times. It has some wonderful, extraordinary character work in there. And it's, it's, it's one of the most crowd-pleasing films I experienced this decade, and it totally worked. I don't know how much longer I really want to see this continue, because I, th- I do think Creed 2 was a step down. It was kind of the Rocky 2 of this new kind of... Re not not reboot, but it was kind of like a spinoff slash sequel to the Rocky Rocky series, uh, but it definitely revitalized that series, and it was easily, uh, surprisingly, shockingly, one of the best of the series up there with the original. So Creed, I'm a huge fan of it. I love it, and it's my tenth favorite of the decade. My number nine is on multiple lists. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, wow. I freaking love this movie. It's Leonardo DiCaprio, like, going full force. You've got Matthew McConaughey in it. You've got, um, who is Leo's friend in this? It's Jonah Hill's in Jonah it? Jonah Hill is in this. You know, you've got Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. Introduce the world to Margot yeah, Robbie. and it's just fantastically bizarre, stupid funny crazy male energy but not in in too much of a destructive way not too um, much of a destructive way Are you i mean me? like they're not they're not physically hurting women okay so uh, you know points for there's that, that. <laughs> yeah i think this is my favorite martin scorsese film really um, wow fuck the irishman compared to this all right wolf of wall street is my jam all the way very cool my number nine is almost a perfect movie it just came just shy of sticking the landing to be one of the best sci-fi films of all time especially sci-fi action films and so many other things it is edge of tomorrow a movie that for whatever reason really had a hard time finding its audience to the point where they tried renaming it in the video market to live die repeat Yeah, yeah, which was originally the slogan of the film when it came out. This is, of course, the sci-fi film that incorporates elements of Groundhog Day where a character is stuck repeating the same day over and over again. But imagine that with a alien invasion in the future with future tech and stuff. So it's absolutely fun. It's a blast. It's, it's just almost everything it's so so cool i absolutely love it emily blunt is one of the best female characters of the decade in this film Uh, she's also one of the best female characters of the decade in sicario too a film that Mm -hmm. just missed this list uh that was tough to cut but uh we have edge of the tomorrow to enjoy and there we go my number eight is available to stream on disney it is star wars the last jedi this is also by Ryan Johnson. It is my second Ryan Johnson film on my list. Oh. It is very a very exciting film. It pushes the boundaries. It gets creative. It has fantastic cinematography. It has a great story. The characters are really evolving and uh, doing interesting things in this film. For those of you who don't know, it's number eight. Oh, hey, it's number eight on my list, and it's number eight <laughs> funny. in the Star Wars movies. I love this film. It's great. We get to see everyone. There we go. <laughs> Very cool. And moving right along in the alphabet for me at number eight is an action film I have talked to death 
over the course of this podcast. It is Joe Wright's Hannah, starring Saoirse Ronan as the girl who is raised to be an assassin. She is on the run, and she was raised in the wilderness, so when she's on the run, she she gets exposed to the world for the very first time, and it is so cool. You have also Kate Blanchett as this wonderfully icy villain, and it's it's a surprisingly smart action film with a thumping beat by I think it was the Chemical Brothers if I'm not mistaken doing the score here. It, it's just awesome, awesome film. Such a great time, and also doing some really interesting different things that you don't typically see in these assassin uh, type action films with uh, incredible close quarters fight sequences too. So that's Hannah, which, uh, by the way, is has been turned into a series on Amazon Prime. I still gotta check out too. Oh, I was about to ask you that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You check out that one. I'll check out Watchmen. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> what is your next pick? My next pick is on two of my lists, and now a third. Number seven is Only Lovers Left Alive. Ah. My favorite romance. My favorite horror. I was super excited that it qualified for that. This is what romance should look like. Uh You know, we have a long distance, long time relationship between two vampires. One is living in America somewhere, I think Detroit. And then the other person is living in like Morocco, somewhere around there. And it's Tilda Swinton and... Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston. Yep. With Mia uh, Wasikowska, which I don't mm -hmm. know what happened to her. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just love how they love each other. I love how they're calm with each other. She is who I aspire to be. Uh, Mia or Tilda? Tilda. Oh, okay. No, obviously I'm not the troublemaker sister. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised it's not higher on your list with a uh, well, considering we'll how much you... Well, we'll just see because now we're going to enter the top six that I can't live without. That's interesting. I still would have expected it in that top six. My next pick going through the alphabet here as number seven is available on Netflix. It is Spike Jones Her. From 2013, one that I am named the best love story of the decade. It is absolutely perfect in every way. A perfect sci-fi film, love story, just beautifully acted drama. A movie that is ostensibly about a man falling in love with a woman and that woman outgrowing the relationship, except that woman happens to be an operating system that he downloads. Played extraordinarily by Scarlett Johansson. Of course, Joaquin Phoenix is no schlub in this film as well. I think his performance in her and in Joker are two of his best performances of his career. And among the best performances of the decade. Just wonderful work. And this film really helps prove how extraordinary a talent Scarlett Johansson really is even though she's definitely not one that needs more exposure let's say she's doing just fine but uh it's you know it's easy to forget how great a talent she is when you you know immersed in so many marvel movies and and everything she gets a little um underrated in that regard but her is a wonderful extraordinary film i think you will find it on netflix 
But number six has been on a list before. It is X-Men Days of Future Past. This is my favorite superhero film. I love X-Men more than I love Star Wars. So there we go. Mm. And obviously more than Marvel. Uh, well, you know, by Marvel, I mean no X-Men. Right, right. In the so, Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. you're talking about. This is an example of like two worlds coming together, two different kinds of X-Men movies coming together and joining them. And it's just, it's so great. And I think one disappointment I didn't mention from from this decade was Phoenix. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, I love this one. I think it's pristine. I absolutely pristine. <laughs> love Quicksilver's time in a bottle moment. Oh, yeah. Where he's, you know, he, it's like he knows. He knows that that's his dad, and it's just, it's so exciting. In three seconds, those doors are going to open, and 20 guards will be here to shoot us. I know. That's what I'm waiting for. What are you doing? I'm holding your neck so you don't get whiplash. What? Whiplash. killing the president. The only thing I'm guilty of is fighting for people like us. You take karate? You know karate, man? I don't know karate, but I know crazy. <laughs> they told me you control metal. Hey. You know, my mom once knew a guy who could do that. Very cool. Does that mean that the rest of the list are all movies that were mentioned on other lists? There is one more that was not mentioned. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, my halfway mark film going through the alphabet here is Inception from 2010, available on Netflix. Uh, this film, I think, I, I, I think really you'd be hard-pressed to come up with a more a film that was more influential that just it's just infected pop culture landscape and knowledge as much as this film it you could say it incepted pop culture <laughs> i mean you so had is it really there you mentioned hans zimmer's score with those blaring horns those that's just iconic uh, sound the whole concept of inception you know with implanting an idea in someone's mind or even the idea of going of having a dream within a dream all those things have been shorthanded to you know to refer to this movie when people have similar experiences uh of course it's all just one of the best like pop sci-fi films it's dazzling it's got great action it's got just such intelligent ideas in it and it and it it is very uh expository heavy but it that is all helpful because it walk it kind of holds our hand and walks us through what's going on and then on top of it all you have the climax which is just this two to a force balletic sort of 
example of beautiful editing where you have three or four different set pieces that it cuts to and you understand what's going on and where you're at with every single one it's an extraordinary film inception is i love it and um it's on my list right now number six available on netflix my number five is one that has not appeared on a list yet as a top right contender right it's easy a with emma stone love it that was her, wasn't that her big breakthrough film from 2010? It might have been. I love this film so much. I may have spoken about it before briefly. Oh, sure. You know, a big part of what I love about this film is the relationship between the daughter and the parents. Yes. And like, I would love to be those parents that are like pretty chill. Mm-hmm. I don't think they stress at all. I don't know what they're taking Mm. or how they came to be that way. (laughs) But they are so easy with life. And I guess they just, they they trust their daughter. Maybe that's my issue. And um, I just, I just love it so much. I love what's happening at high school. I love how she's kind of taking the slut stereotype and kind of turning it on its head. Well, Scarlet Letter is the inspiration for the Well, I know nothing about Scarlet Letter. I know Scarlet Johansson. Oh my God! Scarlet Letter. All right, <laughs> and moving on from there, my next pick, number five on my list, is Moana, available on Disney Plus. I recently rewatched this, and I realized I'm not sure I knew what I was thinking when I named the Lego Movie as my favorite animated film of the decade. Not that it's a terrible movie or anything like that. Maybe it was kind of a bullet to the head kind of moment sort of thing. Maybe I was relying a little bit on its innovation. But Moana is Disney getting back to its roots in many ways. I mean, Moana's songbook is absolute perfection. The film is just the best that Disney ever had to offer. It's back to the days of Little Mermaid. It's back to the days of Beauty and the Beast and Lion King. You know, something that Disney had a very strong decade in animation, but most of their movies this decade never reached the heights that they achieved with Moana. I rewatched it recently and I realized, God damn, this movie is just absolutely irresistible. So stunning. So, uh, you know, I mean, How Far I'll Go is such just wonderful that song. still that's, makes me cry. That's just extraordinary. Yeah. So anyway, I could go on and I will not, but Moana, available on Disney Plus, is my number five. You know, my mother stayed awake for that movie. She stayed awake. She didn't okay. fall asleep. So, I mean, that's high praise, too. I'm <laughs> just saying. That must be an achievement. All right. <laughs> My number four has been on a list before, and the rest of them have been. Yeah. So, it's Spy. Oh, yeah. With Melissa McCarthy. I just, I love this movie. I This is, uh, you know, an example of a woman who's totally capable, gets kind of grunged down by a man, and then she's capable again, and she's fucking fire. You know, I just, I love how she enters the spy world. She was in the chair, guy in the chair. Basically. And and now she's there and she's just phenomenally funny. And Rose Byrne is in there too. And oh, she's wonderful. Crazy psycho from Crank. Jason Statham, Jason man. Jason Statham. He's just, 
you know, it makes sense. He is the way he is in that film mm. based on his other films. So I think it's kind of fun. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, another Paul Feig pick. Uh, and another film that I will watch every birthday. Very cool. All right. My number four, again, falls under the camp of movies that I just didn't shut up about during the course of this podcast. It came out in 2018 and is a French film it may or may not be my only foreign pick on this list. I'm not sure. But it is Revenge. Uh, available on Amazon Prime. This is that extraordinary film starring Matilda Lutz about the girl who goes on a trip with her, the guy that she's seen on the side, essentially. He's seen her on the side. He's got a family and everything. He's wealthy. And he goes on a hunting trip, uh, meets up with his, his pals, leaves her alone mistakenly. An annual hunting trip. Right. Leaves her alone, unfortunately, with his pals to disastrous effects for everybody involved it is visceral and just cathartic for some and just everything is awesome just a great great film that lives up to its name revenge on amazon prime my number three is mad max fury road the post-apocalyptic wasteland of i'm pretty sure australia this does not surprise me <laughs> has you know women that are escaping a tyrannical ruler as uh, this psychotic cult that they have it's just insane where women are nothing more than property essentially baby making machines so handmaid's tale but not happening in a snowy place instead in a deserty place you know that's kind of what we're looking at here. well we're looking at real life too right the the patriarchy yeah right yeah, and it's Charlize Theron's time to shove it up its ass. So we have <laughs> we have Charlize Theron, we have Tom Hardy. You know, it, you asked what are some images that you think of of the past decade, and I think of Charlize Theron reaching her hopelessness moment with mm -hmm. all the, you know, in the desert, nothing living, nothing growing, and sand flowing over her. That's one of the most awesome moments in this film. Yep, that, that movie is definitely one of the most iconic of the decade, for sure. I'm glad it's on your list and represented in this discussion, because it did not make mine, unfortunately. My number three, going through the alphabet, is Star Wars. I pretty much would include... All of the Star Wars movies that came out this decade, except Solo, which was just terrible, and Rise of Skywalker doesn't quite meet my my favorites list. But, you know, Rogue One, Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, all of which are available on Disney+. Plus. Hopefully they haven't been altered like the original trilogy has. So, so you can actually enjoy them as they were originally. But they're just... Some of the best experiences I had this decade in film and some of the best films, really, that the decade had to offer, especially The Last Jedi, you know, which... Absolutely, that was phenomenal. Yeah, and I don't think we've shut up about that movie. <laughs> we've talked a lot about that movie. We will always movie. talk about that movie. Yeah, it's an extraordinary film that really took the, the series or tried to take the series in new directions. So, yeah. Star Wars, definitely. All the Star Wars. Uh, Disney Plus, it's my third favorite of the decade. 
going through the alphabet here. What is your second favorite, Shanna? My number two of the decade is available on Disney. (laughs) It is Inside Out. Oh, okay. The story about the emotions that we feel, everything we feel and think in our heads, represented in Riley, a, I guess she's a preteen or she's preteen. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think you're right. It's before she hits puberty. And she moves with her family to a new place. San Francisco. And yeah, everything's new. Everything's scary. There's a lot of emotions when moving. And just a wonderful exploration of our emotions, of our subconscious, of dreaming. I, I love each character. I was very excited when we went to Disneyland and I got to see the inside out ride i mean it wasn't anything phenomenal but i was very i mean it's you know it's not it's not a crazy adrenaline rush but i really liked it i love this film so much i quote it i tell my brother that he's anger and that's it (laughs) well and that speaks to the idea that this helps kind of us understand our emotions too and what's driving us and i just love the personification of emotions it's my favorite that's awesome that is awesome. Mine, uh, my second favorite, uh, going through the alphabet, uh, as my list is, my second favorite is Taika Waititi's What We Do in the Shadows from 2014. The what if vampires were in Big Brother kind of uh, mockumentary. <laughs> and it, of course, features all these, I what do you call it? Kind of these archetypes of vampires, of Dracula, you know, so to speak. You have the Nosferatu, the Francis Ford Coppola, Dracula, and and a variety of others just clashing together over things like whose turn it is to do the dishes. And it's hilarious. (laughs) Like a normal marriage. (laughs) Well, you know, like roommates, roommates. uh, like flatmates. And, you know, they, they run into werewolves, which in itself brings its own degree of hilarity and danger, too. Uh, it's just a brilliant film, brilliant concept brought to life. It's awesome. Love what we do in the shadows from 2014. Shanna, what is your number one right. favorite film of the decade? All right. I bet everyone knew. It is Arrival. Oh, actually, that surprises me. Although you've had... What? Well, you've had several of your favorites like Fury Road and, and, and Only Lovers Left Alive. It does kind of leave to question, what is your number one? So Arrival makes sense that it is on your this list? This is like if the DVD is ever not where I want it, <laughs> shit will hit the fan. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> I will watch my the, stuff. This is, this is really my favorite. I, you know, she's a real person with the supernatural Well, not literally real, but... I mean, She's realistic. Yes. She's, you know, she's got this career in languages. She's a language professor. I always wanted to be a professor. Um, So there's a little bit of me in it. You know, there's surprises that are my favorite kind of theme in movies later. And the the aliens are beautiful. They're, like, so mysterious. The Mm. spaceship is mysterious. The music is just so haunting. And just... The performances are great. It's a quiet film. Mm-hmm. I love this film so much. And the uh, she that you are highlighting is played by Amy Adams, mm-hmm. by the way, which is of great note because she is extraordinary in that film. Uh, so that is an awesome pick. 
Ending the alphabet with my list at number one is X-Men Days of Future what? Past from 2014. Oh, because you're alphabetical. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it uh-huh. is perhaps, while imperfect, my favorite X-Men movie, rivaled only by the second X-Men film from 2003, I think it was. But I mean, this because this movie has everything that I always imagined when I think of an X-Men movie growing up, you know, and what you see in the, the comics. And it actually has real stakes, as established in the first five minutes, where characters actually are killed and killed brutally. And it's it's everything that anybody ever wanted in an X-Men movie pretty much brought to life here more than any other or most of this kind of mangled series of films ever uh, achieved before. It'll be interesting to see what Marvel Studios under Disney does with the X-Men characters in the future but here we have one of the best that Fox was able to offer when uh, in their run of it. It's just an absolute thrill. X-Men Days of Future Past. Love it. And that's one of my favorite movies of the decade. But what are your favorite movies of the 2010s? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That... You can even let us know what's your favorite blustery movie. Let Lady know. <laughs> Day after tomorrow, <laughs> I'm sure. No, but uh, we'd love to hear from you and your input uh, on all things related to the decade. So feel free to email us or comment on social media. Speaking of which, Shanna, as we wrap up here, why don't you let everyone know where they can find you online? You can find me politely on Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography. We can have civil conversations there. We can be nice to each other over there. It'll be great. Have you had bad experiences from listeners there? There's there's someone that's a little... A little I don't know what's going on there. Okay. We'll see. Be nice. Be civil. All right. Of course, with the Gibson Review and the Movie Lovers, you can go to thegibsonreview.com to find all things related, including all episodes and the best of the 2010s. Check out the best and worst of 2019 article on there. Uh, the last of the best of the 2010s articles will be found on there as well. You could go to Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts to find all episodes of the Movie Lovers. Feel free to do whatever you can to help more movie lovers get exposed to this podcast, including reviews and subscriptions. Uh, go to facebook.com slash the Gibson Review. Find us there. Instagram is very active right now. The Gibson 99. You'll find polls and the stories there as well as updates to everything going on with the Gibson Review and the movie lovers on there. And then, of course, for fun, find me on Flickchart at the Gibson 99. A fun little website where you get to rank movies and pit movies against each other and, and choose which one you think is better or your, your favorites. And so next time on The Movie Lovers, first of all, keep an eye out for a bonus episode, hopefully, where we talk about what we're looking forward to in 2020. We do that every year. Uh, This time it's in the form of a bonus episode. So keep an eye out for that. But the first official, the next official episode, episode what, 74, very possibly will be a review of Rhythm 
what was it, Rhythm Section, I think, starring Blake Lively, a movie we know very little about, but trying to figure out what will fit in with Shanna's work schedule and, and the timing of everything. Check the social media sites for updates on that. So in the meantime, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye.